you know it's funny when i when i imagined in the book i imagined like he was cut in half oh vertically vertically mm-hmm. but nope that's not the case here i mean if i had to pick a way i think i'd go horizontal personally because you might survive you would it. rather be cut horizontally you might survive it you go vertical you're done <laughs> Although I guess it's fast, at least. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. I guess it depends on what you're what you're hoping for here. Where's your midpoint? <laughs> <laughs> if I survive it, I'll go horizontal. <laughs> to episode 180 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week we discuss Eric Heisserer's 2021 series, Shadow and Bone. Okay, Luke, I'm delighted to say that I am enjoying this show. Oh, good. You know, it's always a, uh, a tense time after we've read an adaptation <laughs> and we're coming up to an eventual film version. I'm mm-hmm. always like, is it going to live up? Is it going to be able to elevate in some way? Because we really never know. But in this case, I'm I'm honestly really surprised and in that way happy. Like this is what I wanted. Yeah, I mean this is this is mostly good. Uh I'm I'm having a good time with it. There's a lot of changes. Um there's a lot of stuff that I assume is brought in from other books. Um you have to assume, yeah. Yeah, I have to assume, but I, you know, I don't know. Like is it just characters from other books that they're reimagining? I have heard there are big plot changes. I know there are some big plot changes just from what we've seen. Um so far, I'm enjoying that stuff, and in fact, a lot of the a lot of the new stuff is like some of my favorite. Yeah, it's felt fresh in ways because I mm-hmm. I did kind of have to go in with the assumption that like oh this must be book two or this must be some other stuff that's going on, um, and like you said, I I don't know if it's because we didn't read it and it's fresh in addition to the stuff that we're seeing adapted, but it was nice to have the blend of both to be able to jump yeah. between multiple groups of people was honestly a welcome change in my book so far. Yeah, I mean, because the book itself, which we covered last week, um, is a single POV throughout. It's Alina. And and so we basically only get the Alina plot line. Um, And that's like maybe a third, maybe half. I don't know. Probably about like a third of the show is that. Um, And we're getting a lot of other stuff, too, which is really cool. And and definitely kind of rounds out the experience in a way that that I'm enjoying. And I think is necessary if you're going to bring it to, uh, you know, an eight part season of television you're gonna have to explore other characters yeah and it feels like it's prestige netflix right it's they they put the budget in you can tell it looks great it's stylized there's great set direct decoration there's great costuming going on um it kind of really brought the world to life in a way that i that i was hoping for yeah I, i agree i mean everything looks great world design costume design you know the 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 look of all these characters is good um it it does have, and I don't mean this in, in an insulting way, but it has a little bit of like, I want to say like a CW vibe, but on a budget that CW never had. I agree, yeah. It feels like they pumped a lot of money into it, but it has that like teen fantasy drama feel to it still, where it mm-hmm. doesn't quite feel like it's really trying to be Game of Thrones, which, which I know a lot of people make that comparison just because it's big fantasy show, but it yeah. doesn't feel like that's what it's trying to be. 
um it, it, i feel like you know i think there's i think they want people to walk away saying it feels a little bit like game of thrones in the way there's like political machinations going on and 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 some like some of that kind of stuff here and there yeah i'm not saying that it, i necessarily think that it's a great comparison i just yeah. think that like that's what the that's what the intention was i honestly i honestly think it's just that it's fantasy and people are like well what's another big fantasy show that was popular okay it's that um yeah i kind of i kind of don't like that comparison because i really don't think the show uh is is really comparable to game of thrones in a lot of ways it's not really trying to be um other than the fact that it is a secondary world and it's got kind of an ensemble going on but like the whole vibe is different um you know the the all of our leads would feel very out of place in a game of thrones you know show like the 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 tone, the themes, way different than Game of Thrones. So there's just like so much that is different. Um, I guess there's some politics, but not not that much. I don't know. Yeah, I would say if you took if if I was if I was to say what I thought the intention was is I think they they it was one of many different things that they were trying to sort of turn into an amalgamation. Of course, they were going to be influenced by a fantasy show like Game of Thrones in a post Game of Thrones world. So like yeah. obviously they're trying in some way they're, they're reaching for, for Game of Thrones, mixing it with maybe like because it's a Netflix show, trying to pull in some Stranger Things th- and, and like it's clearly not Game of Thrones because it's not that adult. It's yeah. kind of down a, down a tier. From it, that kind it, of thing. it is kind of YA. And I guess that's because yeah. CW was known for that age range. So maybe that's where I'm kind of feeling that for. Um, and it does it, like it, it really in kind of a depressing way has shown me that I'm getting a little older now. Because I was noticing just how young all of the leads are. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, everybody's so young in this show. Mm-hmm. You um, know what's interesting to me, too, is I feel like they aged up the show from what we got in the book. In maybe the, a in little, just the first yeah. Book. yeah. Although it's, was... it's ambiguous, though, because, right, like, a lot of people, a lot of characters, like, Alina doesn't know how old she is. I think that's specifically mm-hmm. said, even though we assume teenage, you know, and, and I think the show is kind of in that realm, seems like. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. For for me, it just felt aged up a little bit. I think yeah. seeing some of these, like, there are some pretty gruesome deaths that we see, yeah. some violence that we see, that I think, and, you know, there's guy being cut in half in the well, book. Well, that's the so. thing, like, why YA can have that stuff, you know, and, yeah. and, and there is not a lot of, like, hard and fast content rules um, mm-hmm. for, for this kind of thing, so um, that didn't surprise me to see, and I was kind of glad, and, and yeah, some of the battle sequences are really good, really well well done. Um, yep. I've been impressed overall with how they implemented the use of the magic, um, which we mm-hmm. can get into like specific examples of that. Um, yeah. What did you think of the fold? The fold, uh, it looks good. It, um, I really liked the the journey on the sand skiff. Um, you know, which we'll get into the specifics in, in episode one here, but um, in a spoiler free way, yes, I, I think it was a, it is adapted well. I, I do think they were going for uh, you know big. Uh, the wall from Game of Thrones. I think they were going for those vibes when they're like standing in front of this giant wall of darkness. Yeah, you know? I kept getting so t- just to make the Game of Thrones comparison early. Anytime they were in the snow, I was definitely getting a in the north Game of Thrones kind of feel where there's you know snow on the ground. They have like a very blue tint to the like look in the in, in the image versus like anytime they're in yeah. like the sand areas. Like we're talking about like actual in Ravka, it's like more orange tinted. But yeah, so I would love to hear sort of like what were your what your viewing was like. Did you yeah. like like three or four four episodes? Did you watch them all in a row? Like, what, how was the pacing for you so far? Uh, I broke them up. I watched. I think I watched like one per day the last four days. Um, that's kind of how I like to watch TV. I, I tend mm-hmm. to every now and then I'll watch two back to back, but I, I tend to like to space things out. 
Um, so my binges aren't like true binges in that way. Um, because I do like to like marinate on an episode sometimes afterwards. If I go right into the second, I don't have give myself enough time to really kind of think about what happened and digest yeah. it. Yeah, I prefer it like episodic in like a weekly format just yeah. because like you said, it really gives you that whole week to think about it and view it and if you wanted to watch it again. But uh, you're stronger than me because a lot of time if I'm like really into a show and I like I can't, I'm, I'm not going to be able to... I can't outweigh how much I want to keep watching versus like how much I would love to stew on this. I'm like, oh, let's just go into the next one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it drives my wife crazy. <laughs> she hates it. <laughs> She's like, no, we're going to watch the next one. And I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. I want to I want to like sit with this one for a night. <laughs> Depending on how heavy the content is, is also another thing for this. For me, it was like a bit lighter. So I was yeah. able to, to binge through it pretty quick. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and this is one where I would probably have binged a little faster if it wasn't for the show, because I, I like for the show's sake to like think about an episode for a bit. Yeah. Um, so I gave myself that opportunity. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was fun. I think it it took a few episodes before it had really sunk its hooks in me. Um, there was definitely things to like early. Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, I think it was really, I think episode three where we were getting a lot of new stuff, um, you know, that, that I really felt like, okay, I'm really, I'm into this show now. I definitely want to finish this out. I'm, I'm excited to see where they go with it. Yeah. I'm, I'm having fun with it. I do. I guess I'll bring it up now. I didn't want, I didn't know if we wanted to wait until we got into specifics, but one of the overarching things through all, all four episodes gets touched on that. I know I've seen a lot of stuff online, um, so I'm not I'm not trying to just parrot it here, but I definitely noticed it is they in, they introduced this whole racism plot line for Alina. She's half shoe. It, it basically becomes like anti-Asian racism is like in all of the episodes I've seen so far. I don't mm -hmm. know where they're going with this. Um, I'm, I'm I, I kind of want to give the benefit of the doubt and hope that it's leading somewhere interesting or somewhere with a good message behind it. But I just know that a lot of people are like, it's really tough to go to a fantasy world and hope for an escape and then find that they've added anti-Asian racism into the plot line. And a lot of people in America right now, you know, that's such a huge topic as we're seeing hate crimes, you know, all over the country, um, just proliferating against Asian people. And, and um, it's, it is troubling to see it here. And, um, I don't know. It just it doesn't feel like they're handling it necessarily in the best ways. It's kind of just mm -hmm. like there to make Alina have like a struggle and have like, a you know, her against the world and nobody understands her. And she's an outcast in every way. And it and it's also about her like identity. She's struggling to find an identity. And so she's like, you know, she's half shoe. But I, I don't know, man, it's 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 playing with fire. And I think they're getting burned a little bit because I don't know that it's necessarily handed super well. Yeah, when we talked about in the book how looks sort of were a major m motivator or or something that that was like really important to the characters and like their their state of mind. I did, you know, it's I don't think it's a spoiler to say there is a few times where she shows that she's proud of her shoe. Yep. Uh heritage, which I, you know, I think that that's that's a positive. I also, you know, who am I to say? You know, yep. I'm not I'm not of Asian descent. So right. if it's, you know, if if someone's reacting that way, I, I can totally agree. And like, you, you know, to add something like that, it's, that wasn't in it is, like you said, it is a tough tightrope to walk. Well, and I think a lot and some of the stuff I've seen on Twitter, people who are either, you know, of Asian descent or, you know, half Asian or whatever, you know, and, and reacting to this and going, oh, I was so excited to see that they solved a lot of the or they quote unquote solved a lot of the diverse, diversity problems by making a diverse cast. But then 
boom, racism, racism, racism. You could just have a diverse cast in a fantasy world and not have it, not have to do this. I don't know. And like, maybe there's something, maybe there is some message that they're trying to get across. There's some story arc that's going to attempt to redeem it. I just can't see it in this show being interesting enough, thoughtful enough, powerful enough to sort of justify this when the show itself is, is it's more fun than that. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's a very heavy topic and the show, the rest of the show feels more fun to me. So it kind of seems out of place. Yeah, I can see that. Didn't ruin the show for me, but like I, I could, I can't blame anybody if it's just a thing they have to nope out on. Yeah. Well, I mean, while we're on the subject of cast, do you want to do you want to talk about any standouts or anybody who sort of didn't didn't live up to character expectations for you? Oh, uh, so we got a lot of people who weren't in the book we read. Um, yeah. So let's focus first on the ones that we are familiar with. Uh, Jessie May Lee. She is, I think, very good as Alina. Um, I, I I'm curious to see what she does later on, where I think the character gets more conflicted. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're just starting to get there in episode four. Um, but I, I think overall she's been good. Most of our leads have been good. Ben Barnes, I think, has been okay. He hasn't really had a lot to do yet. Um, yeah. He does this thing pretty frequently where he has kind of a flat affectation. And I think he's trying to be very mysterious. Like He's looking at her in a mysterious way. Um, but instead it just falls flat. It feels like where I'm not really getting anything from the performance. Okay, yeah. And 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 that just might be me nitpicking a little bit, but I just and because of that, I'm struggling to feel the chemistry between him and 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 Alina at, at least in these in these episodes. Like whereas I thought in the book, like there was a, a, like an immediate magnetism between the two of them. I don't know if it's happening yet on screen. Yeah, I I know that like there was probably an intention to say like we want the viewer to feel uneasy here, but I wasn't getting like an attraction it felt way more creepy yeah and maybe it's supposed to kind of feel like that but i just don't know if i buy that alina would be into it or like consensual with like how weird i I don't it just seems like all weird so far but we should also say like there's been some changes to that character uh the darkling i think it's like general kirigan now and the darkling are like kind of one in the same like they they, i think they blended two characters together Oh really? Um, I just assumed that they just gave him a general name. No, I think there was the a general Kirigan in the book. Is the thing, and I think they, I think they essentially blended him in this general character. Interesting. Um, I don't even know. Yeah, it's they're doing something interesting with the character. I assume there will still be some of the same stuff going on, but we'll see. We'll find yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, Lena Jesse Jesse May Lee is is doing really well in my opinion. Like she's co- yeah. sort of the core of the show for me. Uh, you know, on on her in her storyline, her mm-hmm. path so far, she's the best part of her section of the story. Um, Mal actually Archie. At mm-hmm. first, I had a difficult time buying in. He yeah. was like the first episode. I was like, oh, I don't know if this is good. It felt you made you made the CW reference. Like it, it felt very CW to me. Like right away. I, I think I got over it in in a couple a couple episodes in I was I was bought in and I actually thought that he was doing a good yeah, job. Yeah, I think the most I think episode four, which we'll talk about, um, was his best moment. He yeah. does some of his most interesting stuff. He some of his best performance. So yeah, I, I think maybe a little bit uneven is what I would say about his performance. But um, there's definitely some greatness there, or, or you know, some stuff that I'm really enjoying at least. Um, yeah. Do we want to talk about the other group yet? Or we I want think to we wait? should. Okay. Yeah. So uh, there's a, ca- a character called Kaz Brecker 
who Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure is a character from either book two or the second duology. I'm not sure which. I mean, people can Mm -hmm. let us know. Um, I did see the the Six of Crows or whatever was was the other book that was being pulled from. Which I think is the duology. Okay. Maybe. So this character, I had seen elsewhere that Lee Bardugo uh, wrote a character who had a limp because she sometimes has a limp and how in many ways she felt like very close to this character. And so when I saw this Kaz Brecker character show up with the cane, I thought, okay, you know, and, and as someone who myself has a limp and, and occasionally uses a cane, uh, not often, but I, I have I have in the past more. Um I don't know. I really liked that seeing that like a, a disabled character in a lead role here, essentially. And and it's not, you know, it's not an affectation. It's not just so he can have a sword in his cane. Like yeah. He just has a cane. Like, yeah, maybe it looks cool and, and everything and he's styling with it. But like, it's just a cane that he uses to help him walk. You know, I think yeah. that's really cool. And his crew is just it's the my favorite part of the show. Like, I, yeah. I absolutely love it. Jesper is this like. Like he literally, his evoke his name evokes uh, Jester to me, and he mm-hmm. has this like really fun like kind of wild man attitude. He's a, he's a sharpshooter, um, really interesting. And then um, Inej is maybe my favorite character in the whole show. Um, you stole the stole the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. I was gonna say she's a freaking ninja. She's so cool. Yeah. Um, I, I, she's Batmaning away from people. She oh just, yeah, like, she's Batmaning on place. people. Yeah. Yeah. I, she's so she's like scary like she's got like mad skills like i mean i'm i'm really into her she's a great character and i'm also really invested in her story you yeah know, like, uh, she she's probably one of the most interesting backstories that i'm interested in exploring more absolutely man yeah so that whole crew and then the conductor which we'll get to later like that whole crew has just been the highlight of the show for me and and maybe it's kind of cheating because it's like yeah I'm, i don't know what's going to happen there because I, I this was not in the book we read is but, it because it's fresh we're, um, we're not sure i do think that this is a plot line i would really enjoy to read about too it actually makes me want to go read that book because um the other thing about them is they are freaking stylish like they're talking yeah. about like the costuming like it, it kind of has like Peaky Blinders vibes, but, you know, yeah. in a fantasy world, um, they got their, you know, their hats all askew and they're they're wearing these cool outfits and they're they're rolling through these like alleyways together, like a little crime crime syndicate. Yeah. I don't know. Syndicate, whatever. <laughs> I can't tell if there's like a power system because they feel like they almost have powers and I can't tell if that fits within the yeah, universe. I don't or know if that any like... of them have magic. They just are like incredible, but but maybe something's magical going on. We don't know because they're so good. Like Jesper is such a good shot that it's exactly. magical. Yeah, I did read that the actor Kit Young like trained to actually perform some of these trick shots. Like you know, I don't oh, well. know how far he was able to go and how well, he much he was able to spin those guns really well. Yeah, exactly. He looked like he really like was comfortable with them. Uh, I did, but yeah. So I I read that like he apparently could do some of them, pra- some of the tricks practically. You know, I don't know what that looks like within this this show. Like I don't know what comes through that's actually practical if there is anything. But it's cool a commitment to the role. Yeah, with it being so as new as it is, there isn't a ton of behind the scenes stuff. I also read that Freddie Carter learned to do like sleight of hand tricks for Kaz, mm. for Kaz Brecker, and like you can see some of that with like eventually i'll you know i don't want to spoil anything but you can see some of that and yeah. it's cool to to know that like they're getting attached to these characters in that way but anything else that i have that's behind the scenes i'll try to thread in as we as we move along here i want to talk about the filmmaker at this point okay so well in this case the showrunner eric heiserer 
yeah. is an American screenwriter and comic book writer. Now, I'm just going to talk about this at the front because... We've covered him before. <laughs> we've covered him before, yeah. Yeah, so I, I didn't know I, if I you... recognize that name. Uh, yeah. yeah. On our movie coverage of Arrival, we talked about him a little bit because of the adaptation proce- process of Ted Chiang's mm-hmm. Story of Your Life. Yep. And like, because I think Ted Chiang was involved in that process a little bit as well, but he actually was the person adapting. I had spoken to Ted Chiang at a reading event he did. And one of the things I asked him about was that and uh, was about the Arrival uh, adaptation and how he was happy with it. And he told a story, I think, at the event where he was talking about Eric reached out to him and had this like really strong idea for what he wanted to do with it. And so he mostly worked with Eric, I think, not didn't even move, you know, like he, he, he that was his main point of contact was influencing the screenplay, I guess. I mean, working mm-hmm. with him on the screenplay. And once he had a the screenplay crafted, um, they felt really good about it. And Eric Heiserer was the one who was able to get Denis Villeneuve on board. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, we love that project. We've talked about it a ton. Uh, Incredible. I just wanted to bring it up because we have talked about Heiserer before. And, you know, at that point he was, he was writing screenplays and eventually would go on to direct. And then now he's show running for this. He actually got uh, nominated for best adapted screenplay for, for Arrival as well for the screenplay. I don't know if you saw this, but there was some news, I think just dropped today, where Eric Heisserer is going to be adapting the tabletop RPG World of Darkness, uh, which cool. I think includes Vampire the Masquerade, which I don't know if you're familiar with that as, a, as an RPG. I think you've talked to me about that before, actually. Yeah, I've only I've only played it like once, but um, it's a game a lot of people like, and it's it's very like, it's very goth. I think it's big in goth culture. and um, cool. cool game, and it's interesting that he's like adapting this tabletop rpg setting into a i think a movie um not sure about that he's he's adapting it in some way but i mean this guy's this guy's doing these adaptations and i i mean everything he's done so far has been cool that i've seen yeah i mean we can and we might end up covering him again in the future because of that but i want to tell you you know with with what you just told me about the sort of goth rpg i wanted to get into his his beginnings because i think this is like gonna hit us We, we grew up at a time where this is going to have been something that was like very interesting way to break into the industry. So Heiser's professional screenwriting career was launched with the sale of the Dianea House to Warner Brothers in 2005, based on an online epistolary story of the same name that he wrote from autumn 2004 to winter 2006. The Dianea House was was a multimedia novel told across multiple blogs run by fictional characters and concerned an ominous house that existed in multiple places across the United States. It is considered to be one of the first popular creepypasta stories. That's really cool. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's, that's so cool. That's awesome. So what a way for him to break in. And yeah. like, you know, creepypastas were like massive because yeah. like early internet and, and the way that they were being sent around and there was a lot of like, is this a true story? People love to talk about that kind of stuff and try to play it up as true. So in in December 2008, Heiser was hired to re-envision and rewrite the script for the franchise reboot of A Nightmare on Elm Street. He wrote the prequel to John Carpenter's 1982 remake, The Thing. So he's, you know, tons of horror projects coming his way right after that creepypasta. So that 2011 film, he wrote that? Yeah, I, he rewrote the prequel, yeah. Interesting, because we, we, that was one we covered in a bonus episode. I did not remember his name coming up, but maybe we just, because we don't dive quite as deep sometimes into the 
uh, production on the bonus episodes. Yeah, but yeah, I, I just looked it up bonus. to confirm. Yeah, he he wrote the screenplay for the the 2011 wow. thing as well. That's cool. So like you think about a nor- nightmare, what a nightmare on Elm Street means, and the thing to like horror legacy, and yeah. like he, these these are being handed his coming his way as he's getting to write the screenplays. So he's um, I didn't and, know he had this horror connection. You know, you got this creepy pasta, yeah. you got these old horror films. And then he's doing Shadow and Bone fantasy. He's doing Arrival sci-fi. Like, he's a genre guy. I'm liking yeah. this. Big time, yeah. So in April 2010, Heiser signed on to write Final Destination 5, the fifth, fifth film of the horror film franchise. Okay. I don't remember. I, I don't think I've seen that one. I think I fell off of that franchise after, like, two, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So Heiser made his directorial debut with the film Hours, starring Paul Walker. He also co-wrote The Conjuring 2. So, okay, I have not seen tenure. any Conjuring films. I've heard good things. I think I don't know. Yeah, they're they're pretty good for like a fun little horror watch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Heiser wrote the screenplay for the 2016 film Arrival as well. Yeah, which um, is so fantastic. Like that's that is a a crown jewel right there. It's amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. such a such a great sci-fi film and so atmospheric and so unique. It's just a fun, unique sci-fi story. Yeah. I, and, um, and how much of that is his screenplay? How much of that is Ted Chiang's story? And how much of that is uh, yeah, directing it's, it's all comes together but i will say you know in his defense like it's a ted chang story is a really difficult story to adapt to film like definitely and, and a lot of that adaptation process has to be in the screenplay so well done for sure and and like he's attached to some things here and and like being trusted with with some large franchises and getting to continue you know he's continuing to work and then has, has come to 2017 uh it, it was announced that he was developing a sci-fi fiction series based on another Ted Chang story, Liking What You See, a really? documentary for AMC. I did not know that. Yeah, apparent, I don't know that it's out yet. I think that COVID may have messed with it a little bit or something uh, like that. But it says the series will explore concepts such as beauty, relationships, and advertising. Wow. I, well, we'll have to look more into that. I would love to, to cover some more Ted Chang. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, Heiser also wrote the script for Bird Box in 2011, smash Netflix movie that everybody was talking about at the time. I have not seen that yet. That's on our list of potential projects. So I've been holding yep. off because I've been wanting to because it's an adaptation. So again, yep. he's he's doing great work with these adaptations. I, I have seen it. I, you know, we'll talk about it on an episode, I'm sure, one yeah. day. But uh, it, it was, you know. It was massive at the time. Yep. I, you know, it was one of those Netflix movies that dropped that was captivating everybody. It was like number one on Netflix easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that was as, as 2018. So not wow. very long ago. And then now he's doing Shadow uh, and Bone. <laughs> now he's doing Shadow and Bone. Well, which, which is his first TV show, I guess. He's like show running. Yeah, it's definitely his first time show running, uh, as far as I can tell. Cool. Yeah, I mean, at least the biggest one he's done for sure. I was really excited by his story and happy to tell you about the creepypasta thing. I thought that yeah. you'd get a kick out of that. That, that you know, and I did. I love epistolary yeah. stuff. Like the idea of a form breaking thing is fun, and uh, it is cool to think of him jumping into the into the industry with this. I, don't know, I think that's really cool. Yeah. So if you're ready, we I think we should, it's time that we jump into spoilers here. Uh, okay. We'll start with episode one and go through all four. So official warning: spoilers are coming. Yeah. Starting with episode one, a searing burst of light. Alina Starkov, a map maker, reunites with her childhood friend Mal while serving in the First Army. When Mal is chosen to be part of a team to cross the Shadow Fold, Alina sabotages existing maps so that she can go with him. A crew enters the fold, overlooked by the arrival of General Kirigan. They are attacked by ravenous creatures called Volkra, who kill most of the crew. Alexei, a fellow cartographer, escapes from the skiff and runs towards the other side of the fold. When Alina is taken by a Volkra, she uses an ancient ability called Sun Summoning to scare the Volkra. 
Meanwhile, in the trade hub city of Ketterdam, members of the Dregs gang, Kaz, Inej, and Jesper, compete with crime boss Pekka Rollins for a job with a payout of 1 million Kruger. They bring a heart render to Dreesen, the man who set the job, in order to win him over. Dreesen has the heart render use her powers on a kidnapped Alexi, who reveals that Alina is a sun summoner. Dreesen kills Alexi and tells the trio to bring him Alina in exchange for the job. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just react to random things here. <laughs> um, uh, one thing that I noted when we first got introduced to uh, Freddie Carter, is the name of the actor who plays Kaz Brecker. Um, I thought he was a spitting image of Bill Skarsgård. He did look a lot did like you get him. Anything of that? <laughs> like, yeah. Like put some clown makeup on him and he's Pennywise. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. He's 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 not, but man, I was like he could be another Skarsgård brother. <laughs> yeah, right. He struck me right away as someone just the look of him and the way that they had him set up in this bar. I didn't trust him right away. And I, that was the intention, I assume. Yeah. But I was like, oh, he doesn't seem very trustworthy. And like the, the things that were happening in the bar, I was like, is this guy going to be some sort of antagonist? Um, he's but still, he's not. He's sort of like a rogue. He's yeah. sort of like a he's definitely a anti-hero, rogue. maybe he's, even. Yeah, I think he is. He's definitely a mysterious character, though. Like, I, I still don't quite understand what's going on with him. Like, we don't know much about his backstory. Like, what exactly he's good at other than like he's kind of a mastermind. Like, he's good at like... Yeah orchestrating things it seems like um he's he's kind of devious he seems resourceful Mm -hmm. obviously like cunning um but he does seem to have like some goodness in him it seems like his he's really been helping inej out from what i understand paying off her debt it seems like he's at least has honor among the people that he cares about right you know like he it's like he's willing to do whatever it takes to get ahead and bring the people that he cares about with them and maybe screw over anybody else along the way yeah um which honestly makes for a really fun and interesting character. So what do we think about just the overall camp vibe with the first mm-hmm. army and then um, going into getting onto the skiff? And I do like that there was a choice made to have her burn the maps to to manipulate things so that she could get on the skiff. Um, when she does that, she ends up getting her whole group assigned, which ends up getting people killed, um, which I... I assume she's supposed to have felt guilt about, but I would have liked to maybe see a little bit more guilt about that. But the reason I like that is we talked about in the book that we felt like she was a bit too passive throughout the book, kind of just getting dragged along. This was her making a choice. I'm going to sabotage these maps because I'll be able to manipulate things to get myself on the skiff to be there. Um, And I like that. I like that she's taking initiative. Um, and so it sets her up in, in, a, in a stronger position, I think, going into that. And then, yeah, the the whole trip across was harrowing. I, I like the look of the Shadowfold. I liked seeing the like remnants of things out in the darkness. Mm-hmm. I think the Volcra looked good. Um, and I love the the tension of that scene too, yeah. where they have all the blue lights out, and then uh, you know those all go out, and this other guy turns on a normal lantern, and and that just like how you and then just all hell breaks loose and everybody yeah. starts dying everywhere i mean it's um, it's you know people are getting killed left and right you know it is it is yeah. pretty brutal um and then she does the glow thing and i like everything about it except for any time they show her face it looks pretty wonky getting yeah. washed out it just doesn't look good to me it looks great when they show her hands it looks mm-hmm. great when we see it pulled back and we see beams but when her face is turning all white and like all you can see is her eyes, I don't know, something about it looks wonky to me. It just looks yeah. weird. 
I'm willing to forgive it. Like, yeah, I, yeah it's a tough thing to achieve for sure. I, yeah, and I know they want to show the emotion and the surprise in her face as she's doing it, but I agree. It definitely caught me off guard. I didn't expect it to look quite like that. Yeah. And, and it, not in a good way. And, but, uh, you know, it doesn't. Everything it else doesn't about it looks so good, though, you know? Like, yeah. it, it really is cool the way they're, they're playing with this light motif with her and, and everything she the beam the, i like the beams right like it's not just a glow like you're seeing like what it was like a star shooting out all these in multiple rays cut from the skiff itself which looked great like that was a you know really well crafted uh piece of visual effects what did you think of kaz and his sort of like him competing with pekka rollins yeah in this, in this, this was like, the peaky blinders vibes for me like right, yeah. this pekka rollins guy yeah, it's like opposing gangs. They're, it's brutal. They're like you know, you know, beating each other up. You know, uh, he they're 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 expanding their territory and their influence. Um, and it seems like this Pekka Rollins character has like a lot of power, whereas Kaz doesn't. But he's having to compete with him anyway. So that was all cool. You know, I I'm feeling it. I'm liking it. And again, everything that's going on over there is, I don't know. It, maybe it's just because it's like a camp. And it's like uh, a bunch of military people wearing similar outfits and stuff. You have that and then you you p- compare that to just the colorful costuming and environment on the other side of the fold. Um, it, 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 it provides a nice contrast, honestly, between the two of them. Yeah. And I liked seeing the heart render because, you know, oh, yeah, I think I was excited to see more uh, powers within this world because I think we saw in the book, we saw like a decent amount for sure. But um, getting to see the heart render like in action and sort of understand I think I was able to understand a lot more of like what a heart render could do yeah. we see I think some more things that heart renders can do calming people's hearts you know like do different things like we see one later who like makes the, a person almost feel like affection for them by increasing their heart rate it seems like or something so so there's lots of things that can be done by manipulating heart heart rates yeah so a comparison that i wanted to make that just i have to say because it uh, makes me think about it a lot when i was reading the book i felt the same but um avatar the last airbender just bending elements and like all of these characters being in different you know this person can do fire this person can do you know air it it brought that to mind and with the heart with the heart render it's like it definitely creates a difference it's a different thing Um, yeah yeah, because but, and at first I kind of felt like it was like maybe like blood bending, like you can like freeze people in place with like f- doing something with blood, but it's not the case. Um, I was, I, it's just a comparison point that I that I kept I was also of. getting um, Full Metal Alchemist vibes with the with specifically the snapping, like uh, Colonel Mustang, yeah, Roy Mustang, yeah, yeah. getting the fu- getting the flames out of the snapping. Uh, that, that 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 felt very Full Metal Alchemist to me. That's true. Yeah, I mean, though you're gonna tell me I missed some some transmutation circles <laughs> or something somewhere in here. No, not in that regard. But you know, uniformed officers shooting f- flames. Yeah, I was kind of getting those dogs vibes. of the military. But I will, I will say, we haven't seen like a pyro. What are they called? The the whichever Inferni. Inferni. Yeah, we haven't seen yeah. one who's like, or like like a Colonel Mustang style Inferni because that is that power could be gnarly exactly yeah we saw i saw one in the background that was like lighting a scarecrow on fire yeah exactly everything like, we've seen has been like a little puff of fire like just like right. a little like that's it <laughs> part of me makes part of me and of course they're gonna lean into crazy powers as time goes on with with i'm sure there's gonna be other seasons of the show and other stuff but yeah um i think they kind of want her power to seem like ridiculously powerful to what everybody else is right now too. i agree and also there's been a point made about how the uh, Grisha in general 
their their power as compared to the the dawning uh, industrial revolution and these new weapons and the machine gun and stuff like that that's happening right now they're starting to become less and less powerful by comparison yeah but in my opinion if you're making a fantasy story and you got powers like you got to have you got to sell those powers being fucking cool in my opinion like why why else have them so i i would want to see an exemplar from each category of magic who's really fucking good at it at some point yeah. in the story. We probably will, honestly. I hope I'm sure we that do. we will. If you're ready, I think we can move into episode two. Yeah, let's get into episode two. So, so episode two is called We're All Someone's Monster. In East Ravka, Alina is taken to General Kirigan, who proves she is, a, she is the sun summoner when she leaks light after he cuts her. She is taken away to the Ravkin capital, Os Alta, where she will be given to the king and queen. Her convoy is attacked by Fjordan Druskal, warriors who hunt down and, and exterminate Grisha. Most of her Grisha guard is killed, but she is rescued when Kirigan arrives and uses his shadows in a cut that dismembers her captor. They make it to Os Alta on horseback, and Alina is put into captivity, though she promises to find and reunite with Mal after he was left behind with the first army. In Ketterdem, Kaz is threatened by Pekka Rollins to drop the job, but he refuses. Inej meets with Tante Helene, the owner of a brothel where Inej had been forced to work before Kaz paid her off. Helene promises to drop Kaz, Kaz's outstanding debts on her if she will kill a human trafficker named Arkin. Kaz searches for someone known as the Conductor who can safely lead them through the fold, and discovers it is Arkin, who Inej grudgingly lets live. Kaz, Jesper, and Inej set off to find Alina. Uh, this was the the episode where I, in my notes, I was like, "Man, I'm I'm loving everything going on with Kaz right now." <laughs> and and yeah, I was like, "These costumes thing. look great. These characters are really interesting. The more I get from them, the more I want from them." Um, mm -hmm. So so this all this stuff is all great. Um, you know, this is where we it. learn that Inej, you know, there's a debt to be paid for mm -hmm. Inej, and he wants to free her, and and like that, like I said, I, that that backstory and the like, the motivation behind all of that, it seem is really. I think compelling. Yeah. And um, yeah, we get a lot of Jesper being awesome. Yeah. Um, and also just kind of out of control. Like I, I like that he's a, he's a, he's a wild cannon. Wild, you know? card. <laughs> wild card. Wild card. Yeah. It feels like a familiar character archetype, yet it's got this twist on it that, that makes it feel fresh. And um, yeah, I'm enjoying that, enjoying that performance. Um, what do we think about the, the feared and Druskal attack? Well, that's, that was one of, my, one of my other notes. I, I thought that was really well done i thought it was a more intense scene than i remember it being in the book um i know we got the same thing the same ultimate cut in half moment happens in both but leading up to that there was a lot of cool combat and out in the woods you know like people getting hit with arrows we're seeing little puffs of flame <laughs> from some of our yeah some of our fire <laughs> i like seeing that the uh that the coats are bulletproof you know, like seeing that in action, like they're holding it up to try to block their friend who's down and yeah, um, yeah seeing them in, in combat that is, is pretty cool. cool. Although the, I will say, man, Grisha dropping left and right like they they are very vulnerable, even with those coats. Um, yeah, it looks good. And, and I thought it was it was an intense battle. And then, yeah, the, the moment where he launches this like, I don't know, it looks like something out of a video game, but <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> and it chops the guy in half. Um, this like it's like an arc of darkness that he just fires out. Um, and then, yeah, we see like, we see like entrails and stuff left on the grass after they walk away. So it's pretty brutal. Yeah. I thought it was, it looked pretty cool. I, you know, I think it lived up to what I wanted it to do. You know, it's funny when I, when I imagined in the book, I imagined like he was cut in half. Oh, vertically. Vertically. Mm -hmm. But 
Nope, that's not the case here. I mean, if I had to pick a way, I think I'd go horizontal personally. Because you might survive. You would it. rather be cut horizontally? You might survive it. You go vertical, you're done. <laughs> Although I guess it's fast, at least. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I guess it depends on what you're what you're hoping for here. Where's your midpoint? <laughs> <laughs> if I survive it, I'll go horizontally. Yeah. So we get the scene with them jumping off the horse and she's all exhausted from riding and just a lot of like the a lot of the scenes straight out of the book with yeah. uh Kirigan, who again, like those scenes between them, I didn't I don't feel the like I remember I was watching with my girlfriend and she was like, They're supposed to get together, like this is supposed to be a thing. Yeah. And it, it just didn't start to really pick up until like it got really intense really quickly near some of the later episodes. Yeah, I it, and this was the moment in the books where i felt like that that um romance was starting to grow was in this mm-hmm. early scene um but that wasn't really the case here right like it i don't know it just i, I wonder okay so i just looked it up and i wonder if this is part of it ben barnes is 39 he does look like, that's another thing like i know he's a he's supposed to be older like older than we think yeah but also he's supposed to look relatively close to her age he seems really old for yeah, her yeah he's 39 she's 25 the actress now the actress i think is playing younger in this role um but that's still a 14 year difference here and i think you can kind of feel that age gap a little you bit can. On, on especially on when you compare him to mal yeah you know? like who feels a lot more age appropriate to her <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, because in the book, he's supposed to be kind of like this ageless vampire type character. He's not a vampire, but he's he's in the sense that he's ageless. And she knows that he's like 100 years old, like because that's like common knowledge that he's like got this extended life. But he appears to be her age. I think it's she key. says that. Yeah, she literally says, like, you look like you couldn't be much older than me. Right. And Ben Barnes, like, I, I'm not, I mean, the guy looks amazing. He, he looks way younger than that. <laughs> like, he looks younger than I am. And, you know, he, yet he's older than me. But um, in real life, he is 39. So I, I don't know. You know, I think there is something something to be said for that. Yeah. Well, I think it's about time we move into episode three, if you're ready. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, episode three, The Making at the Heart of the World. Jenya, a tailor, arrives in Alina's chambers to make her presentable for the king. Alina then meets General Kirigan, who brings who brings her before the king and a large crowd of people. Together, they demonstrate Alina's powers. The Grisha believe that Alina is their savior and that she will destroy the fold. Alina meets with the Apparat, who explains the power of amplifiers to her. If a Grisha slaughters a mythical animal and they meld part of the animal into their body, they can harness that animal's power. Alina then meets Bagra, a teacher who's meant to help her draw out and control her powers. She learns from Bagra that Kirigan is a human amplifier, which means he can make other Grisha more powerful. The crows are preparing for their journey across the fold. The conductor's contact to get them inside the palace, Nina, has been captured by the Druskill. The conductor says he needs 20 pounds of coal, a peck of Majdalun, Jurda, and a goat. The group assembles later that night and boards the train. Jesper only manages to steal 16 pounds of coal, which might not be enough to cross, but there is an angry mob after him, so they jet off anyway. The conductor has neglected to mention the tracks aren't complete, which means they can't shift their weight. The Volker attack, but they manage to escape and make it across the fold. The conductor's contact Nina is taken aboard a ship bound for Fjorda, where she will stand trial. She has a short conversation with a soldier who seems drawn to her while being repulsed by her powers as a witch. Which is another plotline I did not expect to get. I wonder if this is from one of the books. Because this Nina character kind of comes out of nowhere 
and I, we're, we're following her a lot more than I thought. I thought she was going to be integrated into the plot, and instead she's just like, nope, she's on a ship, and she's going away somewhere. Um, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm interested liked, in her. I liked her character um, a lot right away. Especially yeah. if she gets out of her current predicament, which she's in for a while here. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what they're doing with that character yet, so I'm withholding judgment. So far, I'm, yeah. I'm, I would say my interest level is medium. Um, but I, I'm yeah. hoping they're going to do something with it. But everything uh, they called that that uh, description called them the crows. I'm not sure. If, did, did they yeah. say that in the show? I don't know that they did. They kept calling them the dregs or something, right? Mm, I don't know. Maybe I missed it. But but um, that makes sense. This person may have had some insider knowledge. Yeah, that sounds like uh, book knowledge. Um, I like it though because that that crew is really cool. And, and the conductor, you know, I didn't. I thought he was going to be a more throwaway character than he ends up being. He actually ends up being he's really potentially one of the the people, one of the dregs now. I like think he's, he's one of the, of the crew. crew yeah, yeah, and yeah. he's he's interesting, right? Like he's he's kind of devious, but he's like he's not the kind of character who's usually a a um, important person in a fantasy story. Like I don't know, he just he doesn't have that vibe. Um, so I like that. And then um, so much of what happened with the with the like train ride across the fold was really fun. Um, and Jesper's fault, which yeah. I thought was hilarious. And I think this is the tone that I'm liking in the show when it's like having yeah. fun with it, leaning into some some of the like over the top, like you know the 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 train is jumping tracks essentially, and and uh, he's shooting at you know the the Volcra with his like you know, and then oh my everything with a goat. The goat was so funny. Yeah, I literally said out loud, I was like, oh, he's about to go God mode when he like stood up with the, with the goat in his arm. I was like, he's going I God mode. I just love mode it how they're sure. like, get the goat. And he's like, I'm not going to sacrifice the goat. And he's like, it's not for sacrifice. <laughs> like, just hold it. It'll calm you it's down. It's a great joke. I, I wonder if that's from the book, too. Like, that's just a solid joke. Really funny. So good. Because you assume it's like to sacrifice to a Volcra or something. But instead, no. And it, and it ends up being like the thing. Like, uh, Jesper seems to kind of bond with this goat. Um, God mode. So good. Yeah, very funny. Goat mode. And, um, yeah, I like that he is able, I mean, we knew he were going to make it, but I liked that it was, it was, you know, skin of their teeth. Jesper had to show up to make it, to make it work. Um, Mm -hmm. very fun. Let's jump back to the beginning of the episode. Um, we get the stuff with Jenya, the tailor who's like, you know, I felt like it was actually handled pretty well. It was, I was a little bit worried. I I was like, how far are they going to go with it? Right. Like, are they going to start? Cause I, I, like, uh, Jesse May Lee, I don't know if it's like, she, it seems like she actually has like a little scar between her eyebrows. And I was like, are mm-hmm. they going to get rid of that? Like, how much are we going to do here? Um, and I was glad they didn't do that. Instead, it was just like cleaned her up, made her hair look nice. And that was mostly it. Maybe kind of made it look like she had makeup on, but it's unclear whether or not that was magical or they just applied some makeup to her. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I feel like that was handled pretty well. It, it, but the the thing that kind of sours it is this whole racist thing where like all the, the, the servants are like making comments about her eyes and stuff. And it's it's microaggressions, right? Like she's getting all these microaggressions. And I can just see this being really triggering for people. And yeah. it's, it's I, unfortunate. It, did you feel like Jenya was in her corner? Did you feel like she did the right thing? Or did you feel like she didn't go far enough to help? Like, like it just yeah. doesn't. It she feels like they were away. making comments. Yeah, yeah, it's like, is that even enough, though? I it's think like, there yeah. was like a really there was kind of a bond between the two of them in the book. Right. I do like their their relationship. And I I, I, I feel like I don't quite get that bond yet, at least in the show. But maybe we're going to build to it. But so far, I, I'm not sure these two characters are friends in that same way that, that, that honestly, it felt like Jenya was her main friend in the palace, um, at least by, you know, as as things progress. So we'll see if they get there. Yeah. Uh, so we get, uh, um, well, we get the introduction of the royal family. 
um, when she's brought in front and then more more microaggressions going on more and then you know this question of who what are you gets said again which is like a that's like a racist thing that people say which is really yeah shitty um in real life and so we're gonna put in our fantasy show um it's tough and uh but the 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 court scene i thought looked good we get the orb of light we get the darkness um i think it mostly all these effects look great um the apparat i i found to be a little bit underwhelming as far as like his appearance i was expecting big and bearded but maybe they're trying to go away a little bit from the rasputin um but (laughs) but he is he is kind of creepy and when when they have that interaction in the library he like I liked it when they opened the book and we saw all these like really cool art, like artwork of the past. It was, it was a good way to Definitely. give us some exposition on the world. I like that lore. Um, yeah. And, it, but it worked right. And, um, I, I thought the finger bones thing, like this, this character that what was it? The bone. It was like the, yeah, he used his own bones and his fingers. He used to, his own bones. It was cool. I forget the amplifiers. name of the character. Like, I didn't write it down. It was like the bone Smith or something, something like that. Something like yeah, that. Yeah. It was very cool. I'm like, Ooh, I want to know about this character. Um, and, and I don't remember that from the book, at least, uh, you know, I might've missed it. I don't know. I didn't think it was in there though. Like that seems like a detail I'd remember. And it was very cool. Yeah. What about Bagra? What, how do you, how do you like Bagra in the series? Oh, so, far? so, so, I mean, she's basically right out of the book, but seeing it on screen, I honestly kind of feel like they didn't, I was hoping they would reimagine the character a little bit because there is a kind of tropey thing going on here that is kind of frustrating and it's this idea that you have to like basically abuse someone to get get the best out of the best out of them exactly to get strength out of them and this this appears in a lot of fantasy um in a lot of stories honestly and i don't know man it just it it kind of rubs me the wrong way it's like she's just constantly hitting her and I don't know if, that, if we're supposed to like think that's good in some way or, or necessary. <laughs> are, like, oh, it's necessary. I don't know that it is. Yeah, the alternative is also interesting to me. It's the thing I think a lot, a lot of people don't think about. Like, just having a really generous teacher who's great at teaching yeah. could also be just as engaging as someone getting whacked until they they do the right it's thing. It's probably like harder to write, you know? I don't, I don't yeah. know. Um, but yeah, it just something about because it's in the book but like you take it you put it on screen and and honestly you do it in a way that's basically the exact same as it was in the book i don't know i was kind of hoping for a little more also she's she like seems to live like in in like a woods hut which i think is right out of the book but it it i don't know it kind of feels kind of hokey to me she's like this woods witch that she goes to i don't know yeah but it's like it seems like it's right off campus it's weird. Like she just have yeah. a little hut out in the woods in the garden or something. <laughs> yeah, it's the Hagrid character. Yeah, exactly. The yeah, side. there you go. The Hagrid, if he if he if he whipped them, <laughs> <laughs> if he whipped them, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, some would say Hagrid's irresponsible with those magical creatures sometimes, but uh, story story for another day. Yeah. All right, episode four, Atkazatsia. Hopefully, I said that correctly. Good job. I don't know if he did, but good job. <laughs> Alina goes riding with General Kirigan. They ride to an old fountain that he says he visited constantly as a child. Once he discovered he was a descendant of the most hated Grisha to ever live, the Black Heretic. Alina remembers the story of the Black Heretic. Alina tells Kirigan that she worries if she fails, she'll become the new heretic. Kirigan tells her to believe he will not let that happen. Later, back at the palace, Bagra gives Alina a tea that unlocks some of her memories about her power. In a flashback, Alina was tested as a Grisha. 
but she hid those powers so that she could stay with Mal. She tells Bagra all of this. That night, she wanders the palace and goes to see Kirigan. They talk about the war and almost share a kiss. The next day, Alina asks if there are any letters for her and is disappointed to not see anything from Mal. Mentally, Alina leaves Mal behind and goes to Bagra, where she shows her powers are more focused. Mal is on a mission to get an invitation to the little palace so that he can be reunited with Alina. He decides to search for a mythical stag, which is said to be a powerful amplifier for Grisha. He and his friends track the stag to Fjorda's territory, where they're ambushed, and Mal gets shot. The Fjordans kill both of his friends as Mal is knocked down, and when he looks up, he sees the stag. Kaz and his crew have a new mission, to break into the palace archives to steal the maps of the palace. Inej sneaks into the archive through a dome, while Jesper disguises himself as a palace servant so that he can turn off the lights at the dome. Kaz pretends to be a sculptor who needs the dimensions of the entrance to ensure his creation fits. He attaches something to the archive receptionist's foot that leaves a trail for Inej to follow. She then makes a copy of the blueprints, but the plan gets interrupted when the guards almost find her. Jesper shoots the lock on the door to get them out. Later, they decide to pose as performers with a troupe that's been invited to perform at the Winter Feet in order to get into the palace. Meanwhile, on the boat, Matthias offers Nina food in exchange for answers, but they end up asking each other questions and answering nothing. Matthias asks her to tell him about the man she serves, Kirigan. She refuses, but he gives her the food anyway. Later, the ship sails into a storm and the captain orders Matthias to kill all of the prisoners, but he looks at Nina and considers sparing her. I, I thought this was a good episode overall. Um, I, there was This reminds me of one thing I wanted to touch on from the last episode, so before we get into it. The last episode ends with her writing a letter to Mal. And mm. during the re- letter reading, as we're experiencing it, we're seeing a lot of flashbacks to like scenes we've already witnessed. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just felt like that was a little redundant. Um, I kind of wanted to see something different there or or something that explored stuff we had seen in a different way um yeah. instead it felt Not like a huge it felt fan of the like, highlights it felt like recapping highlighting um in a way that felt almost like padding <laughs> i know what they're trying it to really do does. is is like build up this relationship right because that's very important obviously going forward but um it just yeah I, I didn't like that particular approach so i felt like the last episode ended on kind of a sour note even though as much as i liked that episode with everything everything yeah. else we talked about yeah i agree it, it absolutely does feel that way and i remember feeling similarly we're yeah. going to revisit the letters because in this episode we got uh we got mal writing a letter to her and we know that they're not getting to each other and it creates this nice tension uh but yeah that one didn't work as well but that's why i brought it up because here we get that and we get mal going off to the north to to go after this stag and I was really glad this made it into the adaptation because we hear about this later in the book after it's already taken yeah. place. And it sounds harrowing, um, but we don't see it as scenes, um, at least not in the book we read. And I was really glad to get that. We see the character growth. We see him go through a really brutal fight. We, and he loses two of his best friends um, in a brutal way. And, and um I don't know. I thought like when he wakes up, kills the guy and shoots the other guy, like I felt like that was badass. Like he I don't know. I, I he, this is, I think, my favorite Mal episode as far as the stuff he does. He's yeah. really fighting to live and then also fighting for Alina in a way. And it's yeah. perfectly set up because it's at the same time Alina is, you know, starting to like read into past interactions and start to 
think that there's actually some problem between the two of them and starting to distance herself from him, which creates this really nice tension uh, between him, like really demonstrating how, you know, legit he is. <laughs> and, and at mm-hmm. the same time, she's starting to doubt. So I, don't know, I thought that stuff was all really yeah. good. So I mentioned the performance early in the in the early episodes. This is where I, I agree. He starts to really like embody Mal. And I also think I much prefer this Mal to book Mal because there's something way more cocky and like not like detached with Mal early on in the book where he's like he doesn't even like really see her as a person or anyone that he'd be interested in having a, ro- a romantic relationship with. Um, and that's not the case for this one uh, really as much. No, no, you know, I guess it could be. Yeah, no, you're right. Because we see that flashback where he, uh, finds out she's been locked up. And so he goes and like hits, breaks a bottle over the head of this. Per- oh yeah. Uh, I love that you know, flashback. And, like, he, Great flashback. You know, gets himself sent. So we can tell that like he has always had feelings for her too. They both have had feelings for each other, but neither of them have been able to like express it or, you know, and, and yeah. that, that does feel kind of different in the book where, Maybe he did always have that, but at least from the perspective we got, which was Alina's, it seemed like he he was more clueless to uh yeah to that. And, and it makes his fight like the reasons he wants to get to see her because in the book he almost like sort of like hunts the stag, independent of the fact that he wants to go to the palace. And then he goes to the palace and happens to see her, and that's when they have that interaction in the book. Yeah, I think you're um, right. So it, it just feels like he's like very much more motivated to get there, uh, which makes, you know, the loss of his friends harsher because they, you know, the, their relationship, like yeah. they were like, we're not going to let you go alone. Well, and they, they really and, develop uh, those two in a way that they're not, they get like one brief scene in the book and then we hear later that they died and, and the scene they were in, they weren't particularly, I don't know, charismatic or memorable. We're here, it's like, they seem like goofballs, um, but they're pretty likable throughout. And so when they die, it's, it's heavy. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's jump to the Alina stuff yeah. with with General Kirigan and their ride to the fountain. And this is what I was talking about. This is where Alina gives us the history of what everyone's taught in the land about the Black Heretic. The king was worried about a coup. That's sort of why the relationship between the Black Heretic and him got went to odds. They were kind of fighting. And then I think uh, the Black Heretic tried to do something similar, like use some sort of amplification of some kind. And then ultimately failed, and that like accidentally created the fold. Right. I think that's the history that they're told. Yeah. Um, oh. And I liked getting that lore mm-hmm. in that way at the fountain scene. Yeah, and this is another scene where it seemed like they were trying to start to lay the groundwork for a budding romance between the two of them. Um, instead, we got—I mm-hmm. feel like we still got some of those like mysterious looks. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. There was a moment later around the map where they like almost kiss. Um, but it, it kind of comes out of nowhere because I'm like, wait, are they attracted to each other? I don't know if we really sold yeah. that yet. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It just feels like it's happening a lot faster, maybe even too. It just it's like not, they, they maybe share less scenes. Or, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I will. There one thing actually. I don't. I think this might have happened in a previous episode, but it made me think of it. Um, there was a moment where she gets this like uh, veil on her face and she's walking around. Oh God! And yeah, um, that was. There, what were you gonna say? <laughs> I was just going to say, like, I couldn't, like, the veil was so distracting for me. It was very distracting. You couldn't really see your face. But one of the things I thought was cool was when we put the veil on the camera for a minute and we walked around this, like, first person point of view. I like, like, little fun things, like little camera tricks like that. I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. Definitely fun. Uh, 
it just like I was like, man, everybody else is. Uh, and I get that that was sort of what they were going for. That the royal family wants to see you as a soldier. Yeah. And like, but I just was like, look at everybody's interesting outfits that they're wearing. And she's wearing this like military uniform with this like goofy looking veil over. Her face. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's not just goofy to me, you know. And I hope that's not offensive to yeah maybe Russian culture that has these kinds of veils or something. I wouldn't know, but it's possible, I guess. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I thought this was all pretty good, but it's still there's nothing that has really happened between Alina and the Darkling, who, find, by the way, also says his name is Alexander. It's Alexander Kiergan, I guess. Um, yeah. So we're getting all kinds of names for him now. Um, He's, he'll always be the Darkling but to me. There's nothing here that is his. It, yeah. There's nothing here that is quite selling me yet on it. But I am I am into it enough to like I want to see where it goes and, and see where this uh potential budding relationship uh how it plays out i agree and yeah let's talk about kaz crew Mm -hmm. uh in this heist mission which i you know they even called like lampshaded uh jesper was like we're going heist it means we got a heist coming (laughs) yeah heists are always fun Um, oh yeah and it's it's like uh it feels like uh oceans 11 a little bit kind of stuff you know like light but like that sort of like well they do it in like a non-linear order they're like we're gonna this is the plan but they're doing the the actual action (laughs) as they're reciting the plan so very oceans yeah for sure it's cool and and we got we got you know uh kaz playing a character you know this fun like sculptor character and Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Inej gets this really cool moment where the, the guard comes in and she like perfectly like stays just behind him while he's looking around. <laughs> yeah. So that was really Love cool. It. I want to get good at that. That's something that's a skill that I want to get good at is like snoop sneaking yeah. behind people and then like perfectly. Yeah. Pivoting. I love how she has like 47 <laughs> knives. Like I, I feel like none of this stuff is like particularly like if you're just hearing this and you didn't watch the show, you're like, why is that? Like, I've heard of this kind of thing, like a ninja character with a bunch of knives, but like something about it feels different, you know? Her, something about her performance like you know seeing seeing she's just oozing it. cool like she's cool. a cool character like the whole the whole way through like you said the knives scene you've seen that before where they pull out like weapons from everywhere yeah. and they put it down but it works so well for this character yeah. um and then there's one point she pulls one like out of her hair and then some guard in the background's like that like they you know somebody that knew her and had seen her take all her weapons out before was like that's a new one and she's like you have, you have no idea kind yeah. of thing like awesome yeah and she's like running on rooftops and stuff all the time she is kind of like a batman character in that way um so that's all very cool and then we get this troop thing (laughs) which gets set up in a funny way where like all of a sudden this like ribbon i don't know if it's called ribbon dancing or what it's called but like this ribbon i'm gonna call a ribbon dancer falls it's impressive very impressive like uh feet that performance feet that you know everyone's probably seen before yeah yeah it's very cool um and one of them falls and i was like that's a weird detail that has to mean something right and then we get this flashback where the conductor oiled the ribbon or something yeah we get a knowing look from the conductor too he like he like sort of like everyone's looking and he like looks down at his drink and that's the other thing about the conductor is that he sort of you don't know that he's on their side fully yeah because you so you sort of you're suspicious of everything he's doing still because he's he like was in remember he like met somebody when kaz was trying to go do something he was supposed to go grab some resource or whatever and kaz saw him speaking to someone else and you're like oh shit does that mean that he's not on kaz's side he's gonna double cross them and in this situation, something happens and he has like a knowing look and you're like, oh, shit, is he like screwing them over again? And we, well, we also one thing I didn't mention before is his backstory is really cool. Like he he helps like 
refugees escape and and people like that yeah. like he he this railroad you know that he runs underground is, railroading is, yeah you know, maybe he's trying to evoke that a little bit i don't know um and so in that sense he is this really interesting character who seems to be out for the altruistic reasons at least it seems to me we don't mm-hmm. know much about him but it doesn't seem like he's motivated by greed in the same way necessarily that some of the other characters are yeah plus he told them to get a goat for comfort yeah, reasons comfort so that's, pretty, goat. that's pretty uh <laughs> endearing right away yeah. as soon as you do that as a character so then then we get the the you know they have to join the troop and show off their talents which almost feels a little bit hokey but this is like i like this pocket when the show's in this pocket it's fun and so we see Inej is able of course to do like an incredible routine on this ribbon uh and then uh and then we get jesper doing a trick shot shooting through a mirror you know, at 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 an edge, which is uh, I wouldn't recommend in real life, but it works here. <laughs> yeah, he like shoots a card between her teeth or something yeah. very difficult and dangerous kind of thing. Um, and then Kaz is like, "Yeah, I'll find my own way." He's yeah. not going to be a part of the trip. I was interested in that. Like, how? What is he going to do? Yeah, is he, are we going to get another disguise? Yeah. I don't know. I think he's going to do the sculptor thing again. Yeah, yeah maybe he's gonna show up and be like, "I'm a sculptor. <laughs> I need to know." How to get in. And then the last thing I think we should talk about is just the Nina stuff again on the boat. I hope that this isn't, I hope that this isn't a romantic relationship building because it feels like it's like the beginnings of a romantic yeah. relationship between the guy who's like bringing her bread because he's, you know, he's grappling with his humanity to see if he should follow orders or if he should save her. It feels like it's going to be. And just personally, it's not something I'm interested in seeing, but it could build to something great. I, you know, I, yeah. I don't know where the story's going. It just didn't, it doesn't feel like the most, you know what? it feels like a toxic place for a relationship to yeah. start. But And you know what's interesting here, right? Like we have this character who is essentially being captured and they're going to murder her. They're going to put her on trial, but it's supposed to be a fake trial because these Grisha are always killed. And so Grisha are hated for who they are. And so in a sense, we've already introduced a form of magic racism you know yeah. what i mean so why yeah. do we need the anti-asian racism too like like I, yeah it's like you're already exploring this and they're like oh no no we're doubling it we're, we're, we're you know we're showing it at different angles but i don't know man yeah you have this like this is if i'm in fantasy and i, I see some like actual fantasy racism not real world brand uh, racism in our fantasy i'm not saying it can never happen but um at a show that has like this fun heist going on it just feels out of place in my opinion um yeah but anyway uh i agree this is like i don't know where they're going with this you know and I, i'm curious and it does feel like they're doing that but maybe it's a misdirect maybe they're not actually going that route i will say that it seems like these two these two actors have more chemistry with each other than i've necessarily seen elsewhere in the show but um you know and props to them for being able to do it in, in a very short amount of screen time but i do feel mm-hmm. like there's an attraction there um, and, and I kind of hope it's a, it's a, they're misleading us in some way, but I don't know. I, I'm curious to see where they go. We'll see. Yeah. You know, everybody likes a redemption story too. So maybe he'll like make good and sacrifice himself or something here or there. Uh, who knows? Save her he, he, regret his ways and who knows? Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's where they're going or maybe she's going to kill him first chance she gets. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> it feels like they're going to the, to do the uh, relationship here, but yeah, maybe I'm just cynical about it. And, but overall I'm not cynical about the show. So I, I've really been enjoying myself. You know, I think it's a fun Netflix show. I like the lighter tone for the for the sort of YA audience that they're trying to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, yeah. it's good performances, I, I, good I do, visuals. I do think a lot of people are enjoying this. You know, for, I've been seeing, I've been, yeah. I've been trying not to like look into too many reviews because there's always this fine line to walk. 
doing a podcast of like you want to form your own opinions and you want to come in and like not just be parroting everything you've seen on the internet. But on the other hand, you kind of want to have your finger on the pulse of what's going on a little bit, right? To not be completely out of touch, um, especially when you're not maybe the target demo. I'm pretty close to like, I'm a little bit old for this show, but like, I love fantasy. And this is the kind of thing that, you know, 15, 20 years ago might have been completely up my alley. I might have been super into. Um, I, I can definitely right. see myself really liking a lot of the the Crows characters, right? And like identifying with them and, and wanting to be like mm-hmm. them or dress up like them. Very cool. Um so in that sense, I still wanted to kind of like keep an eye on it. And from what I've seen, a lot of people are really enjoying the show. Um, so, Good. you know, that's awesome. I, yeah. I, and it seems like it's popular on Netflix right now. It seems like they got, I don't know if it's a hit yet. You know, it's hard to know. Like Netflix doesn't really release numbers in the same way that other, yeah. other platforms do. But. Anytime something's number one on Netflix, though, which this show is, mm-hmm. when you go, when you're on Netflix, it says number one this week or this weekend or whatever. Uh, it's a good sign. Yeah, so that, it's number one right now, and I'm sure people are watching the hell out of that's it. That's cool, man. And I hope that uh, that's continued success for Eric Heiserer, who apparently is adapting things. Uh, which you know, we need more people doing that, right? Keep our keep our podcast yeah. going. Power to him. <laughs> uh, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Um, we will be getting to episode five, six, seven, eight. If you're wondering why I not talk about those, uh, we are saving those for next week. We like to spread it out a little bit and and live in this world for a little bit longer. Uh, we will be coming back for those though next week, and we hope that you join us for that. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever podcast app you use. It's a great way to get the word out, get, boost us up the lists, and and get us heard heard about and found by other people. Um, very helpful. Yeah, and make sure you uh, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those at Ink to Film. And if you'd like to support the podcast in another way, we have a Patreon. Uh, we just are a, actually we haven't even put it out yet. We we just recorded a tier ranking uh, video, which is our second tier ranking video we've done on on Patreon now. And this one is for all of the books, just the books in seasons one and two of our podcast. We we ranked them in you know. You know, basically uh, S A B C D E. No F. No E. Anyway, uh, we basically ranked them in order of how much we liked them. Uh, it was a it was a challenge, honestly. It was like trying to remember yeah. and then like trying to say what's better than what. Really tough, but it ended up being a lot of fun. And that's going to be our bonus content that'll be exclusive to Patreon. It's going to be coming out on there very soon. So uh, for as little as two dollars, you can get access to all of our bonus content. So check out our Patreon, Patreon.com/slashingtofilm. And thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. All right. So that's it for this week. And until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>